Hello there, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy. Today's episode is a live Q&A with Esti Raskin. We took listeners' questions to have this beautiful one-hour relaxed question session where we asked Esti questions like, how has your relationship with God and your Yiddish guide evolved over time? Who have been your teachers? throughout your own personal journey? What was the hardest part about shifting into ownership in your life? How do you navigate any insecurities you have about speaking up publicly or deferring from your family of birth? Esty speaks about honesty, about why we gossip, about discovering a compassionate Judaism. There is so much here. As always, the question and answer session is so much more than just answering listeners' questions. It's a deeper dive into Esty's journey, her thoughts, talking about the real parts of life and how her Yiddishkeit has evolved and transformed over the years. So come along with us for this honest conversation. How was your day? Let's start with that. How was my day? My day was so good because all the kids were out of the house and I had five solid hours to work and it just feels so good. Delicious. Are all your kids in school? Yeah, all my kids are in school. Okay. This is homeschooling, but not at home and not with me. Okay. So if I have to drive in the middle of the day, it like breaks up my whole day. But yeah, yeah. No, having today was an early start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the difference when I have that. I remember seeing an interview with a very successful person who was talking about deep focus, like getting into like four hours of deep focus work, like multiple times a day. And I was like, that's like the opposite of motherhood, you know? Yeah. Like there may be a lot of in-between moments, but not necessarily a chunk of deep focus work. So having five hours. Very hard to get that. Yeah. Yeah. When you have little kids, that's really hard to get to. Totally. Okay. Are you ready for, want to start hard or light? I don't know. You don't? Okay. You decide. What are you in the mood of? Okay. So I have the questions written up, compiled here. The questions that I'm going to be sharing that we're going to be asking Esty today are questions from listeners. This was the first time that I actually put it at the beginning of the episode that I was doing a Q&A. So that opened up the questions to people outside of Instagram who listened to the podcast. And that was really nice because we got like more extensive questions. Because often because of the question box, the questions are shorter or simpler. And I think an email gives you the opportunity to give like a deeper question. So let's start with the question that I posted to stories a couple minutes ago. I think it's a nice way to start, especially because you're sharing now on Instagram. And so it kind of like speaks to what you are doing. I'm going to read her words, her question, and then we will get into it. So someone emailed Human and Holy and asked Esty. I really related to what Esty shared about being a highly sensitive person in a family where there was no space for that. I'm curious how Esty managed to push forward and become a public person without fear of judgment or passive ridicule from her older siblings. I feel like many of us evolve, but our older siblings still always see us as the previous version of ourselves and being around older siblings limits our ability to lean into our authentic selves. And if we're too open, we're usually misunderstood and therefore judged by the older siblings we grew up with. Can you talk to that? Okay. I 
love this question so much because oh, good. first of all, at least one of my older siblings is on this right now. That's first of all. Hi. Guys. Second of all, second of all, when you showed me that question, I was like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. Like I could have written that. Like I wow. had had and still have, but it's different now. So much of that insecurity. My older siblings, I feel like shaped my life so much and yeah like how she wrote like they see you as your younger self like not necessarily are they keeping up with your growth and there is something kind of intimidating about that it's like I never had a fear of speaking in public my fears were much more about like my family the people that know me that was much scarier for me a few things come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is that that's the specific flavor of insecurity for you. There's nothing real and solid about that fear over any other fear. Okay, I think we started pretty heavy. <laughs> when we have an insecurity, we're scared of something. It really feels like that thing is scary. Like that's the thing that's making me feel scared. What's really going on is that you're feeling a feeling and almost projecting it onto something. Interesting. So for someone else could say, I'm scared of what my community is going to think of me. I'm scared of what my husband's going to think of me. And it's all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just showing up in a different flavor because that's how we are. We have different flavors. We have different beliefs. Like we each have a different belief that's driving whatever the fear is. I don't know what your belief is. Your belief is that you're not good enough if you grow and change. You won't fit into the family anymore if you grow and change. Whatever it is, it's a very one-on-one personal question. But what I would say to someone with that question, and it's so applicable to anyone with any question with any fear, with any insecurity, is to sit with the feeling. You can't get rid of that feeling of that fear until you pick it up and sit with it. Like one of my favorite lines I heard from Sterna Ginsburg once, she said, you can't put down a feeling until you've picked it up. Mm. And like our whole life, we're just trying to put down feelings, like just go away, go away. Like I want to do this thing. Why is this feeling like bothering me? Mm. You know, why is it like in my way? Like, I just want to go do it. Your growth lies in going into the feeling and it's so hard. And like, it's so painful. It's so much easier to think about it. And the way through a feeling is through. That's like, there's only one way and sitting. And if it's important to you, to let's say, be more expressive, share what you're really like now, let's say that's important to you, then the way there is by maybe daily for 10 minutes, sitting with a feeling and not staying stuck in your head about it, but breathing with it and allowing it to fill you, allowing it to fill your being and feel it. And it's scary and you might get a lot of resistance the first few times, but the growth that lies on the other side of that is worth it. What do you think is the goal there? 
what do you come out with on the other side? Like, what's the goal in terms of like how you relate to your siblings? Like, is it about, do you have to necessarily express your authentic self to your siblings? Because I'm noticing that the premise of the question is that we're trying to get to this place where we're able to share and not be misunderstood or judged. And I'm thinking that maybe there's acceptance that we will be misunderstood and judged and we might not fit in. And maybe it's counseling for our family's culture. I love love that you're asking that because the truth is there's so many answers and advice that could be given to a question like this. But the answer that's right for you, whoever asked this question, whoever is dealing with this question, is going to come to you through you sitting with the question and sitting with the feelings. Because I could tell you a lot of things, right? You don't necessarily have to share with your siblings. I think you're right in that being authentic is important. Being expressive is important if it's important for you. But so is protecting your energy for yourself, for your family. Maybe you're not ready to be be vulnerable. Like if you're going to be vulnerable, you have to be okay with the fallback. You got to be ready for the pushback that might not be there, but it might be there. And I don't recommend always being vulnerable just for the sake of vulnerability if you don't have the support and the tools to deal with the pushback. That might not be a good idea. I like that you brought that up because I I agree with that. But you're not going to know what the right answer is for you by hearing advice. I'm not against advice. I think advice is great. I think the best advice is to find your answer. Because those beliefs that are driving that fear, like when you have an insecurity, you have a fear, it's not random. It's a subconscious belief that you have that you don't know about. And when I say belief, I mean just a way of seeing the world. We all see the world through our belief systems. We don't even know about them. We just assume things are a certain way without even ever thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And you're triggers and feelings are like a direct access point to meeting those beliefs. And when you meet those beliefs, you get to see life a little bit more objectively. So my obvious follow-up question to that is, I totally get and respect that every person has to find the answer that works for their life. Because there's so many factors here that obviously we're not aware of when we answer this question. But my question is, what has your experience been with that? Has your family's perception of you, your older siblings, often older siblings create a family culture, have those things prevented you from sharing publicly, from talking about your personal journey, your innermost workings and thoughts and processes? Like, has that been a struggle for you? And how have you navigated it personally? What came up and what what was the shift that helped you? Mm. I would say like the fear of it, definitely was a factor in me not being more expressive, not being more public for a long time. But I'm saying the fear of it, meaning not the actual, like all my older siblings calling me like, love your podcast. It's great. Like nobody actually has any issues with it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what was I so afraid of? Like, that's crazy. But it's not crazy because we're all sitting in something that feels super, super solid. Like that's just how life works. Mm -hmm. And for someone else that's past it, it can look crazy, but it's not crazy when you're in it. I think the biggest factor for me was being seen. And I want to give a shout out to Mimi Hacht here 
because I did her mentorship and her seeing me reflecting to me what I saw in myself, but was like too scared, too ashamed. I don't even know. Just too insecure to express it was like the most healing thing for me. And I just want to encourage people to be vulnerable in that sense. Be vulnerable with someone safe. Be vulnerable and like be really honest with someone safe. And you might need to pay someone to find that safe someone. Like I am all for that. Pay someone. It doesn't matter because you being seen is so valuable that it really doesn't matter who it's with. If you can be vulnerable with someone, because you're only going to feel seen if you're vulnerable. If you're not vulnerable and open and authentic with someone, they can see you from today till tomorrow, but you're not going to feel seen because you're not showing them your full self. So how could they see it? You have to open yourself up in order to be seen, which is really, it's scary. It's scary. I'm not going to lie, but it's important. It's like being seen in a deep, real way gives you the courage to face that fear of other people not seeing you because there is a space where you are seen in a real way, where you are understood, where you're not judged. And then that gives you the courage to be not seen and to be misunderstood because we will be misunderstood and we will be judged. Yeah. Well, there is a risk, right? There is a risk of being judged. And what it comes down to is... Are you okay with yourself? Can you say, I am happy with what I've said. I feel like that was my honest expression. I feel good about that. And then whatever happens, happens. And it's just, you you just come back to, am I okay with it? Like my opinion about me is the most important opinion. It's a process. I don't think it's a quick fix. I think... That's what I was talking about, sitting with the feeling, because it's not a quick fix. It's a process of getting to know yourself and getting to trust yourself. It's a good answer. Like you said, it's a little bit of insight from your process that will hopefully speak to her, to anyone dealing with this. And I also love how you prefaced it by saying that we all have some type of insecurity that feels so real and that prevents us from fully being expressive. Like, when you are afraid of your family's perception of you, you feel like this is the worst type of insecurity that anyone could possibly have, but everyone has their own ones that feel insurmountable, like communal perspectives, all of it. So I think that was good. It applies to any type of judgment that we think we're going to receive when we share our thoughts. Okay. So we got a question here about who your teachers and role models are. And I would love if you could share a little bit with us the week before your podcast, I put out a podcast about finding your place in Tara. And one of the things that I spoke about was finding your teachers. And someone mentioned to me, she was like, you should ask all of your podcast guests who their teachers are, because it's such an incredible way to discover new teachers and role models and people to learn from. So is there anyone that comes to mind as a role model or a teacher for you? And even if it's just like in one facet of who they are, I don't think you have to feel like if you say someone, then we're, you're like, oh, this is... Okay. Yeah, like a fast. Okay, in in the sense of like, let's put it out there who people can learn from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really don't have like, oh, this person's my teacher. Like I learned everything from them. I honestly tried that. In a sense, that's so much easier. Like find your person 
believe everything they say and like you're good for life. I don't know. Like to me, that sounded very attractive, easy. It didn't never worked for me. Like I take a little bit from every person that I learn from, from every book that I read, whatever hits me, whatever resonates with me. So I don't have like, oh, this person. I mean, for me, this is not in a sense of recommending teachers, but like for me, the Rebbe is like it. And the question is just, how do we understand what he said? Do we believe what he says? Do we take it seriously beyond listening to what he told us to do? Do we believe him? And that's a really important, like, do we believe him when he tells us how powerful we are? Do we believe him when he tells us that we're bringing Mashiach and he's not doing it for us? Like, what do we believe? So that's just like a side point. In terms of like teachers, I learned a lot from Sterna Ginsburg. I mentioned her. I credit Shays Taub for so much of my connection to Yiddishkeit. I cannot recommend him enough if you haven't yet listened to him. I mean, the way that he speaks is to me so current and so real and just, yeah, I'm a big fan. Therapy, (laughs) just go to therapy. (laughs) Like I really credit my therapist with so much of what I know. She's totally booked up. I'm not even going to share her name, but finding the right people for you. So finding the person that you connect with and that gets you yeah. is really important. I love how you opened with the Rebbe and said, do we believe the Rebbe? Because it's one thing to look at the Rebbe as our Rebbe or as our teacher, but do you actually believe his words is a whole other question. Yeah. Sometimes I want to like shake people and I'm like, you're listening, you're listening to everything he told you, but like, do you really believe him? And it's something that I need to ask myself, you know, do I believe him? Because like, he's pretty clear. And I feel like we skip over the hard stuff a little bit. So it's also, as you said, that there's, we have so many internal subconscious beliefs that we have to work through in order to adopt a more true belief about the world or about ourselves. Like, do we believe in how powerful the Rebbe thinks that we are? Like, maybe we hear that and we see that, but then we have our own beliefs based on our upbringing or our childhood or whatever it is, or our past experiences that don't allow us to really believe it and live with it. So it's a process Mm -hmm. to believe. Yeah. So you said, Chase Tab, you credit your, I don't, I actually don't want to butcher the wording that you used for it, but I would love for you to speak a little bit to how your relationship to your Yiddish guide has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. You spoke about how you grew up on Shabbos and then now you live in Crown Heights. You have like a different lifestyle now than you did growing up, which was like the beginning of your relationship with your Yiddish guide and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about how you've evolved in that sense. Okay. I didn't grow up in like, now that I've seen other Chabad households, I didn't grow up in like a crazy, fanatically strict household. Like I'm one of the younger siblings. So like my parents gave up, not, not gave up themselves, but like in terms of like, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like they're just like, we're, we're done, whatever. (laughs) But, but also I was never like rebellious or anything. So whatever. I didn't grow up in like a crazy strict household, but I also somehow it was like Judaism was about guilt for me. It was like powered by guilt. You know, it's like, what's the fuel? Guilt. I don't know where that came from. But for me, that was a massive 
driver internally. So I got married. I started having kids and I was just like, what's up with this? What is this religion of guilt? It just became so heavy. Like the energy, like I would be doing the things that I knew I, I was supposed to do. And it was like this heavy energy of guilt and a fear and a fear. You know, like I met, I met people once from other communities, like Hasidic communities, Muncie, I don't know, like their fear, it was disturbing. It was disturbing. Like every moment it was like, God's going to smoke me. Like, it's like, I don't know where that came from. I didn't have that. I didn't have a terrible fear that Hashem was going to punish me, but there was so much guilt and I just hated it. I just didn't want it anymore. And it was like, if the only way that I can do this is with this guilt, then I don't want to do it. I just became less careful about a lot of stuff. I just became le- like, it was like the extra. It's like, I'm trying to say chitas at night with a baby. I'm exhausted, but like I'm a bad person if I don't. Like, I didn't know. I was so weird. And I think at one point, the reason that I say like I credit Chase Taub with my connection to Yiddish guy was because that was when I read, like they put out his Ami letters in a book, two mm-hmm. books. At some point they were in my house and I started reading them and I was like, this is gorgeous. This religion is gorgeous gorgeous. I want to be a part of this. Like, this is so beautiful. And reading his introduction, it's like, this is all Yiddish guy. There's no psychology. You know, like he always talks about, I'm not a psychologist. I don't learn anything. And even my husband is close with him and he like told him about a book once or something. He's like, no, no, no. I don't read anything. I don't read secular books. I only base anything I know on Hasidus. And I just like read these letters and he's like, you know, my understanding of how to answer people is based on the Rebbe's letters. And I was just, I just read the books. I was like, Oh my God, like, I want this. This is gorgeous. And I just started finding the beauty in Yiddishkeit again. So grateful for it. It just sparked you to be curious again about what beauty there was for you that you had lost a little bit. Yeah. 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 And just allowed me to see things. It was like, I dropped the guilt and now I can finally see the beauty and it is beautiful. What do you find beautiful about it? Can you ask me that in a different way? Yeah. (laughs) Is that something I can only tell my therapist? My therapist asked me something and I'm like, if I don't have an answer, I'm like, ask me in a different way. Like, I don't, that's not clicking for me. She's up for the challenge. I'm up for the challenge. I could do it. I can ask you, I can ask you in a different way. Well, I'm trying to think, I can ask you a different question, but I don't know if I can ask this specific question. Like maybe you can share what about Yiddishkeit, what about Judaism feels intriguing to you, feels like something that you want to participate in. Like what Mm. about it draws you in? Interesting. Cause like, I think about things a lot. I haven't really considered this question. So I'm going to just see what comes to me. There's something about the all-encompassingness of Judaism. It's like the Jewish God is just so true. It just feels so true. I think, did we speak about this on the podcast? I don't remember. But like the combination, like the synthesis of the spiritual and the physical 
that really speaks to me. And it's like, there's something about Yiddishkeit that doesn't leave anything out, doesn't leave anything out of the picture. It's like your whole self is meant to be here all the time. There's no mistakes. There's no part of you that's a mistake. I'm not sure what it is, but it just feels so true. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm like a person that likes truth. So it just talks to me. That was beautiful. I love how you said that, that there's something about it that, well, that's what truth is. Truth touches every part of us. Truth is oneness and oneness is all encompassing and every part of us and of the world and of the universe is connected. And you find that in Tarn and in Yiddishkeit. What did you see in his, in his books, in his letters, in his response just to people? Think, you know what? I think I saw compassion. Mm. I think I saw mm. just so much compassion for people. So much yeah. compassion for like the human experience. No shoving anything under the rug. Nothing was too scary to look at. The way that he answered questions was so understanding of all the different sides of it. Mm. And it's like there's space here for everyone. And I think the compassion is what really drew me in. That's beautiful. I love that. It's like just a feeling like I'm not, I can't remember anything specific, but like yeah. that was a feeling like if this, this is Yiddish guy, this cares about me. I'm allowed to be here in whatever way I am. Yeah. That's something I want to be a part of. And something I'm thinking of is that when someone's answering questions, for people with different types of issues, something you might not even relate to when you see someone, or at least this is what I'm imagining or what I'm like, what, what I'm thinking of or what's coming up for me is that when you see someone dealing with others with compassion, even if it isn't you, and even if it isn't what you're dealing with, you start to feel like maybe if they knew me, mm-hmm. if they knew what I'm dealing with, maybe they would have compassion for me. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, like you can trust yeah. that. You know, like I have this thing where I, if I am around someone that is judgmental towards other people, like that put down other people in their speech, like in their talk. And when someone's name comes up and they just kind of like, oh, that person, whatever. It's like, I don't feel safe around you yeah, because I don't know what you're saying behind my back. So it's just a similar vein. Like I don't feel safe around you and I'm not going to be vulnerable with you and I'm not going to be open and authentic with you because I'm way too sensitive for that. You know, like maybe someone that's less sensitive wouldn't even notice that or would be like, no, like, I know they like me. They would never talk about me, but like, mm, I don't know. I don't (laughs) Until you annoy them. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, I also, it's something that I've learned too, is that when people are in that space, cause like I don't know if it's a type of person necessarily, but it's when people are like in a negative space in their life that they resort to like the gossiping or whatever it is, or seeing people in a negative light. They also feel unsafe around others because they assume that others are talking about them the same way they're talking about others. When you get into a space where you're seeing people in a positive light, where you're not talking about others, then you assume that there's other people who also like, you know, you don't, you don't seem like, oh yeah, secretly everyone's talking about me. You're like, actually, maybe not. You know, like I believe that there are spaces where people do not gossip or do not see people in a poor light. Like when you cultivate that within yourself, I also think you cultivate trust in the world because you're noticing that the compassion that Chase Taub was giving to people he was answering made you feel safe in Yiddishkeit. And it's like when we cultivate that compassion for other people that we see struggling or just dealing with life, we start feeling safer in the world and we start seeing other people's compassion too. Yeah. 
And as you said that, I was like, I do that too. I'm super judgmental. Like I told someone I'm judgmental. They're like, no, you're not. And then like, I told them about a judgment that I had. They're like, like, what? (laughs) I'm judging you now. (laughs) I'm super, like, I'm very, like, I I really try not to be in like, as I grow, it's like, I find it less and less. Like I find myself more compassionate towards people, but like judgment, it's a defense mechanism. We all, we all have it in some form. And like, I'm totally could be like that. And then I don't blame you if you don't feel safe telling me things, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's your right. But I have this theory about Lashonara and actually it's like a bit of an answer to one of the questions that you shared with me before, but I grew up in a school that wasn't Chabad. So like we spoke about Lashonara, but like in Chabad, we don't ever talk about Lashonara because nobody has that problem because we have so much obviously Israel. So we like really don't have that problem. So obviously that's totally sarcastic and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I have this theory about Lashonara, and it goes like this. We all see the world in a subjective way. That's how life works. Like we're human beings. We see the world subjectively. We see the world in our own unique way. And when we have an opinion about a person, let's say, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's my own subjective opinion. And then when we talk to somebody else about it and they have the same opinion, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay, now I feel better about my opinion because now it's like fact, like somebody shares it. So now it's like an objective reality about the person. That's so interesting. Yeah. So sometimes I'm like about to talk about someone and I'm like, that's, it's so subjective the way that I'm seeing them. You know what I mean? And like what you do when you tell someone else about it is like you kind of bring it into like this shared reality. Like now it's real. Mm, which is delusional. It's not true that it's real. But yeah. 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 But like you create this energy, like this person now has this energy about them. Like this is, there's like this reality, like this shared reality. I don't know. It's like not articulating it very well, but. I think you are. I think you're bringing up a really insightful point, which is that we create this joint world with the person that we're sharing it with. We're like, in this world, this person is objectively bad. Whereas where it's just my experience, like you can't really convince yourself that it's more than your subjective reality. But when you share it with someone else, now suddenly yeah. we can live in an alternate universe. Like also then I think you also like, no, seriously, because that's what it yeah. does create. There's like People use gossip to bond, to create this like separate right. reality where it's like us against everyone else who we're talking about, you know? So I think that's insightful. That's interesting. When you keep it to yourself, it's like a little uncomfortable. Like you have to get a little honest with yourself about how much of this is your projection, your trigger, like your problem. Yeah. Usually it's like most of it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like mostly yours. (laughs) All of it. Like we can have a few objective people that are definitely terrible, but most of it's really not, not that objective. (laughs) Sorry. Also sometimes... (laughs) I'm curious to know, do you believe that when we see anything negative we see in others is a reflection on our own issue? Like sometimes you don't think sometimes yes. people's behavior is not cool? Okay. The Balsham just talks about this. Again, do we believe him or do we not? And it's like, we teach it in schools, but like, we don't believe him. When you see something in someone else, if you have the ability to help that person, if you're seeing it objectively, meaning non-reactively, compassionately, and you have the ability to do something about it in a way that's actually helpful, that actually won't hurt them, that won't offend them, and that is just going to have a good outcome, 
yeah, you can go and do something about it. But if you're triggered by someone, mm -mm, that's on you. Okay. That's on you. If you are all reactive and like, this person's like, I don't know, ruining Lubavitch. Like you go check yourself. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm so serious. I'm so serious. And the problem is that we sit and talk about it in shul and we talk about it at Shabbos tables and like, what's going on? We sit and judge people and what we see in other people when we react to other people is telling us way more about ourselves than it could ever tell us about someone else. And when you get introspective and you start taking that seriously and you're not so terrified of what you're going to find within yourself when you look inside, you'll find a lot of treasures. It's great. Yeah, It's really great when you look inside because it solves a lot of areas of your life when you find a belief that's driving you and you can confront it and move through it. That's like a golden nugget right there. But we just like throw it on other people. Yeah. And miss a good opportunity. Can you give any examples of where you've experienced that shift? If you want to, I might be, I might be asking for too much. It might be a little too vulnerable. Cause like if we could learn how to do that in every area of our lives, I just feel like it would be a world transformed. Okay. Because we put it is a little vulnerable, but I was once like with, I'm just going to keep this as vague as possible. I was with someone that I had been classmates with in high school and I had a lot of judgments about her. Like I just thought she was weird. I don't know. I had a lot of judgments. And like, this was recently, like this year. And I noticed that she was like, it was like a few people and she was chatting and leading the conversation, like taking up a lot of the conversation. And I was like super triggered. It was like annoying to me. And then at some point I'm like, wait a second. Nobody else here seems annoyed. She's not doing anything wrong. She's not hurting anybody. She's not doing something bad. Like, what are you so annoyed about? And I sat with that question and it was just like, you really can take the heat off of the other person, off of your thinking about them. And even you're thinking about yourself and sit with the feeling of like, this is bugging me. And like, wow, like this is so annoying to me. And I sat with that and like, I allowed myself to feel it. And to remember that it was happening within me, Mm. like this is a story about me. And and let me tell you, I discovered some pretty deep things. And guess what? They had nothing to do with her. Mm. They had everything to do with me. And they sounded like you have to be a certain level of cool to be heard, to be loud. You have to be a certain caliber of person to be as expressive as you want. And it's like, Oh God. Yeah. Are those beliefs holding me back in other parts of my life? Yeah. Big time. And how do I know about them? I know about them because I go into the feeling and I go into the trigger and it's like, whoa, but you have to get really honest with yourself. You have to be really honest with yourself because you can have all these defense mechanisms come up because your ego tries to stay whole. And your ego is just all of your beliefs, all your beliefs that you have about the world, everything you've been thinking, you know, for 35 years. And its goal is to stay alive and keep feeding you these stories. 
so that you can be safe. It's not a bad thing. It's trying to keep you safe. At some point, that was a safety, a defense mechanism for you. At some point, those beliefs were protecting you and they were good and they were keeping you safe in a world that might not have been so accepting of you. They are keeping you safe physically or emotionally, keeping you from being hurt, from being too vulnerable. But now you're an adult and you get to look at them and decide if they're serving you or not. And they're not. <laughs> Put it that way. You're like, you can, you can discover it for yourself. You can discover it for yourself. <laughs> they're not. Serving they're not. <laughs> and like what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation of like all these insecurities, there's something driving that, that probably mm-hmm. kept you safe as a kid probably Mm. kept you from being too loud or rocking the boat in the family. And those were helpful for you. But now it's keeping you as an adult from being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like, that's all there is. There's just the way that we want to be and the way that we see the world. And some of those ways that we see the world hold us back from who we want to be. It actually takes me back to the question that we read in the beginning someone asking about feeling the judgments of your family or older siblings holding you back from expressing yourself in in the world. And you spoke about this process, which is Mm. when something externally is making you so uncomfortable, then it's hard. I'm like thinking of an experience for me right now. And I'm like, it's so hard. It's so much easier to externalize it and to pin it on the external environment than to go inward and say, what is it in here that needs to... Do you want to share? No, no, (laughs) sorry. Okay. Thank you for the invitation. I do appreciate it, but I, I just, I don't want to share. Okay. I have no insights, you know, I have nothing. Yeah. Just, I just have the experience. Maybe uh, it's hard. It's really hard. It's like Mm -hmm. some people don't have this problem. Like they could just live a whole life and be happy without doing this work. Like good on you. Like I'm so happy for you, but it just doesn't work for everybody. I think when it's not working is when you start to realize that it's not enough. Like when Mm -hmm. it's it's just working. Yeah. It's always just taking you to the next step on your journey. Like just taking you to the next step. Yeah. Okay. In your podcast, you spoke about creating your inner reality. And what has been the hardest thing about shifting the ownership? This is actually... It's actually interesting that my eyes landed on that question because it's so directly tied to what we were just discussing about other people. So I'm interested to hear what your answer is here. So what's coming up for me is the hardest thing for me was that I started to blame myself. I started to take responsibility. Okay, now I'm taking responsibility for my feelings. I'm taking responsibility for my reactions. And now it's my fault. And now I'm the problem. So instead of other people being a problem, I just become the problem. That's not the goal. Like that is not the goal. And it's like, I need to put this somewhere. If I can't put it on my kids, where do I put it? I had this question for a long time. I was like, I just need to put this down somewhere. Like, I don't know where this goes. If it doesn't go, like my whole life, I just figured that feelings came from outside me. Right? Mm -hmm. They came from other people. They came from the circumstances, whatever, the weather, I don't know. And if it doesn't go there, then where does it go? So that was a really big learning curve for me. And I call it like taking accountability for your life 
versus taking responsibility. It's like taking responsibility is very heavy. It's very heavy. It's like a godless way of looking at agency and ownership. Interesting. You are not responsible for your feelings. You don't create your feelings. You're just accountable for them in the sense that they're happening within you. They're happening inside you. And it's your responsibility now to figure out what to do with them and to figure out how to live without hurting other people because you just assume that they are hurting you. Mm. Right. So that's your response. Like now that you have some awareness, you need to learn what to do with that, with that, but you don't get the blame for your anxiety. You don't get that. You don't get the blame for your feelings. You don't get the blame for your beliefs or your thoughts. And that's why I talk about co-creation versus creation because co-creation is like, no, your partner's with God here. He gives you the feelings. He gives you the beliefs. You didn't choose your childhood beliefs. Like that's not how it works. I like that shift in language of accountable, not responsible, because it's interesting that you said that when you started taking ownership over your inner world, over your experience, it could become like a very, it's still like a blaming energy, which is like, it's my fault. And like, what have I done as opposed to being able to take accountability for it and be proactive in how you choose to show up to your life, your thoughts, your feelings, et cetera. Yeah. What's coming up for me now around this is like, well, what do you do? Like, how do you go from blaming yourself? And a big piece of it for me has been to learn how to sit with feelings in my body and in my breath and feel things. It's like when you're in the blame thing, it's like, I have to figure this feeling out. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just have to feel it. Feelings figure themselves out. You don't have to figure it out. You go into your body, you go into your breath, you go into sitting with the feeling and allowing it to take you instead of you directing it. Mm-hmm. And it's very scary. It's terrifying because you're giving up control. You don't know where it's going to take you. You don't have no idea what the outcome of following a feeling is. It's very scary. And if you're not ready for it, I don't blame you. It's scary. Some of us have really, really scary stuff. And that will come up when you start following your feelings. But that's where it really belongs. It's like, well, what's responsible for my anxiety? Some belief is responsible for your anxiety, right? Like if you believe that robbers are going to break into your house, you're not scared of It's like, what's causing your anxiety? That belief is giving you that anxiety. Going into that and exploring that and sitting with that and meeting the beliefs, that's how you take care of yourself. Not by saying, it's my fault. I'm an idiot for thinking that. What am I so scared of anyway? It's obviously not true. Like none of that. I love how you, like when you just said that, you went into like a teenage tone, like obviously not true. (laughs) Because we totally talk to ourselves like that. It immediately made me laugh. But I love how you keep reiterating beliefs because I'm just thinking that Hasidus is a belief system. Yiddishkeit is a belief system. Like a lot of it is about believing certain things about reality. Like I believe that Hashem guides 
every moment of my life. That is a belief, like a belief that causes calm, for example, you know, mm-hmm. that can cause calm and harmony. When it's life. real. When it's real. Meaning when it's your belief, not somebody else's belief. Yeah. But I think that's the integration piece is like how we integrate the belief system of Hasidus into our lives. If you're trying to superimpose it on your life and you're like, well, I'm not scared because I know Hashem guides me every moment, but like you don't in the teenage, believe it. Teenage voice. Right. In the right. teenage voice, it's like, hello, like <laughs> Hashem is in charge. Whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but when you're able to, I think that like that piece is like when you get softer and you're like really paying attention and you really meet yourself that's when the education and the transformation starts happening because mm-hmm. you're able to really start to align your inner beliefs with the truth of like the deepest truth of reality, which is Hashem and Hashem caring for you and holding you and guiding you. Yeah. And sometimes those beliefs can't get through to you because there's so many other defensive beliefs blocking the way. Mm. And so really taking care of yourself in a way of learning how to sit with feelings. And again, I recommend a good therapist learning how to go inward and meet the things that are really scary to meet because they're protecting you in some outdated way. It clears your system. So now you can allow in a belief that feels better. Nice. I'm looking at the time and annoyed that it's already 8 p.m. because I do want to keep it to around an hour, even though I'm like, there's some more questions I want to ask, but I'm going to end up with this one. This one is it's just like, it's a good closing question. So it's perfect and it's beautiful. So what is your message to sensitive souls, to spiritual creative people everywhere? If you could tell them one thing, what would you say? Now is your time. It is finally your time. The world is finally ready to hear it. And you, the creative, sensitive, spiritual people, are the truth tellers. And the way that this generation is going to finally get in touch with ourselves. It's so scary to be a sensitive, spiritual person in like a very cynical world. But I really believe that at this point in our community, at this point, finally, finally, the fears are greater than the reactions that actually will happen. It's your time. It's our time. And also go to therapy and be really, really, really honest and be honest with yourself. You don't want to go to therapy. Fine. Sit with yourself and be honest. When I say be honest, it's like when you sit with yourself, listen to the things that come up for you. Listen to the things that come up for you. Don't throw them out because they don't make sense or they're too big or they're too scary or they're ridiculous or everyone's going to laugh at me or nobody does it this way. I can't do it this way. Honor the things that come up. That's where your answers are. That's where your guidance is. Yeah. Beautiful. That was such a loving way to end. It's your time. It's our time. Yeah. And also I heard how you were consistently reiterating throughout this whole hour of just be honest, yeah. be honest with other people, be honest with yourself. I think we invite connection with other people when we lead with honesty and it's a pretty critical piece. So I like that it's so front and center in the way that you speak and in what you're sharing. Yeah. So thank you, Esty. Thank you, Tanya.
this is like such a joy. Like all I ever dreamed of is having conversations like this with other women. Like what a joy. That's so special. Thank you. Thank you for like the initial conversation for this conversation. The feedback has been so beautiful. And I always see how the more authentically someone shows up, the deeper it touches and the people listening and it cracks us wide open to hear someone speak from a true, honest, self-reflective, but not in your head, self-reflective, like in that emotional, holistic way, you know, which you're really- Yeah, it's about that. honesty. Yeah. It's just still about honesty. Yeah. It's like, what's true for you now? Not what you think should be true for you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What's true for you now? Say that. What you would was true, yeah. Elokai zakinina betoratra uvimitotecha Mikhamberet nishmati tamidilecha Mikhamber Mikhamber If you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked something for you touched your heart or touched a raw nerve or just got you thinking I want to invite you to keep this godly conversation going Share the episode with a friend. Tag us on social media with your follow-up thoughts. Let's get the truths of Torah into the atmosphere. The world needs it right now more than ever. You can email us at info at humanandholy.com. Find us on Instagram at humanandholy. And you can sponsor an episode or give in any amount through our site, humanandholy.com slash sponsor. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. And while you're at it, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and it brings us joy. Thanks for listening and we'll talk next week.